but we're going to help brands solve their biggest marketing challenges through technology and what technology has enabled. Advertising has become a lot more complex and a lot more fragmented. And in many ways, Brandtech is helping solve those problems. Nobody really fully understands just how AI is going to completely disrupt and change all facets of marketing. The good news is we have like a nine-year head start. We haven't yet had a $100 billion advertising company. And I think that's Brandtech's group's opportunity. What we've got to do is just make sure that we don't squander this lead. Hello and welcome to Invest in Progress, brought to you by Scottish Mortgage. I'm Claire Shaw, an investment specialist in the team. In this podcast, we take you behind the scenes to hear the conversations that take place between the Scottish mortgage managers and the visionary leaders of some of the world's most exceptional growth companies. This is the last episode of season two. So after listening, don't forget to check out the rest of the episodes from this season, as well as season one on your favourite streaming platform. As we are a UK investment trust, we can only market Scottish mortgage to certain audiences and in certain jurisdictions. Take a look at the podcast description to ensure this content is suitable for you. And as with any investment, your capital is at risk. Over the years, we've all become familiar with phrases like fintech and biotech, as technology creeps into every facet of our lives. But how about the term brand tech? This is a relatively new term, and it means leveraging off technology for marketing purposes. It's also a phrase that's been trademarked by the company featuring on today's episode. The Brandtech Group sits at the intersection of many exciting trends. The dramatic growth in mobile use and the impending revolution in augmented reality and artificial intelligence. And with the development of these trends comes a number of frustrated global companies looking for brand and tech literate partners to help them keep up. And that's where the Brandtech Group comes in, helping the world's biggest brands do their end-to-end marketing better, faster and cheaper using technology. Before we welcome founder David Jones onto the podcast, I'm here with Scottish Mortgage Manager Lawrence Burns. So Lawrence, the Brandtech Group is providing digital marketing services to global brands. And to some, that may sound quite vague or hard to conceptualise. So in very simple terms, what is the value proposition for customers of Brandtech? I think if you take a step back and look at the challenge brands are having today, it is that advertising has become a lot more complex and a lot more fragmented. And in many ways, Brandtech is helping solve for those problems. We're not all watching the same handful of television channels where you can buy a 30-second advert or a spread in a magazine. The ways of reaching consumers have become more fragmented and complex because of technology. You have a range of different social media platforms, different ways you can advertise on those platforms with text, banners, videos, adverts. You're using algorithms to adapt those advertisements in real time to personalize those adverts. You're having to connect with influencers around the world, working with them on TikTok and Instagram. You're even having virtual interactions through gaming and in virtual worlds like Roblox. And so put simply, Brandtech's proposition, in in my view, is to say to brands, we can help you simplify and leverage the benefits of technology to sort of do marketing. And this will be one of David Jones's phrases that I'm sure he'll use, cheaper, faster, and better. And and that, I think, is what they're offering brands as, as a partner to deal with the complexities of technology. And Lawrence, when I think about advertising, I'm always inclined to think about annoying, irrelevant adverts that can pop up and interrupt whatever I'm doing. However, as you say, ads are becoming increasingly sophisticated, targeted, and more immersive. 
And our guest today, David Jones, has arguably been a pioneer in that shift in strategy. So it'd just be interesting to get your take on that kind of old world advertising strategy and tactics versus a new world and and David's sort of role in sort of that, that kind of transformation, if you like. One of the promises of using technology really well of advertising is that you move from advertising being a tax on the consumer experience mm. to it being some form of or mix of utility service and entertainment. Um, and, and that I think is possible um, with some of the new developments we're seeing in technology. And I think why David Jones is because he brings an interesting combination of two things. The first is he is in many ways an industry insider. He mm-hmm. was a CEO of one of the large um, traditional advertising agency companies. Um, so he has a wealth of experience. He has an incredible range of um, networks and existing contacts. And he's done the unusual thing of leaving what is quite a comfy position behind and going and becoming an entrepreneur and starting something from scratch. And I think he has that entrepreneurial mindset. And he has a view and has had a view since we first met him many, many years ago of how advertising is changing and how it needs to be different. And I think it's quite unusual when you look at some of the new companies that have come in different industries to have someone that has that level of industry experience yet is trying to do things very, very differently and has a view that actually the future looks much different from the past. And that combination is unusual and I think helps him navigate that industry particularly well. Perfect. Thanks, Lawrence. Well, with that, I will now hand over to yourself and David and we will catch up at the end. So, David, I want to start by saying thank you so much for joining us on this podcast. We really appreciate your time. It's my pleasure, Lawrence. Good to be here from a snowy New York. Well, envious. It's been a long time since I've I've had a um, snow anywhere near Christmas. so, So there's always a plus side to it. I wanted to just begin because as fascinating as Brandtech is as a company and what it's doing and how it's changing the world of advertising, it'd be great for our listeners just to get a feel for, um, in your own words, explaining what Brandtech um, does and how it's changing advertising, just to set the scene for us. Yeah, so look, simplistically, we're the world's number one digital-only marketing group. Um, we're also the world's leading generative AI marketing group. Uh, today, we're 7,000 people. We work with eight of the world's top 10 global advertisers, 49 of the top 100. Um, we were named by Fast Company as one of the world's most innovative companies. But in essence, what we do is we help the world's biggest global brands do their marketing better, faster, and cheaper using technology. We help them connect content, data, and media using technology. And obviously, I can unpack all of that, but that's kind of a headline. And maybe in a nutshell, if I'm a brand today, why am I going to brand tech? What problem are you solving for me in, in the 21st century? So look, I created the company in uh, June 2015, as you know, because you were one of our founding investors. Um, and, you know, back then, you know, the, the big challenge brands were facing is they'd sort of, you know, the mobile phone had arrived. It had totally disrupted all marketing. You went from a world where, you know, brands had made three or four TV commercials to a world where suddenly they needed hundreds of thousands of assets for all the digital and social channels. You went from a world where you had to get that content from expensive advertising agency creatives to a world of the creator economy with everyone able to create content. You went from a world where you had a real uh, lack of data to enormous supply of data and ability to connect that to content to make marketing perform better. And finally, people were transacting and shopping more and more online. And my clients were saying to me, look, David, we need help. The big agency groups are great at advertising and brand, but don't really get tech. 
the tech platforms have an amazing tech platform and that, you know, they're only ever going to recommend their tech platform and the brand piece isn't the bit that they specialize in. And we really need somebody who is expert in both brand and technology. So we basically came in to help brands. We said, look, we're never going to buy traditional ad agencies and traditional media companies as an entire industry that does that. But we're going to help brands solve their biggest marketing challenges through technology and what technology has enabled. And I suppose in some ways what's been fascinating about your journey is that um, it obviously comes from the traditional advertising world. You were CEO of a publicly listed one of the big advertising agencies before starting Brandtech. You had that ringside seat of how advertising was changing from an incumbent perspective. It'd be just interesting to understand how that role informed what you wanted to do differently and informed in many ways what you've gone on to build. Yeah. So look, I, I, you know, it, it gave me a great understanding of branding, of, of global brands, of what global brands needed. And I, you know, I'd started my career at the holding company I was at Havas, um, launching Australia's first ever digital agency back in 1998. And so I'd also seen the enormous speed of disruption that the internet had brought to marketing. And I, I just believed that it was going to be easier for me to solve my clients' problems building something from scratch rather than changing something that was legacy. I mean, it's, it's always very hard changing legacy businesses. And so I said, look, we're not going to, we're not going to focus on the bit that ad agencies and holding companies do very well. We're going to acquire high growth, highly disruptive companies that solve our clients' biggest pain points. So, you know, there were things like in-housing. We bought Oliver, the only company in the world that builds in-house content studios for brands. And another big pain point was influencer marketing. We bought collectively one of the world's top three global influencer marketing companies. You know, another big pain point, social media and gaming. We bought Gravity Road, you know, TikTok's digital agency. And so that we put those companies together end to end and, and integrated them into our platform and were then able to deliver cutting edge digitally enabled marketing solutions uh, to our to our client partners but really importantly at global scale i would say that was one of the you know the really unique things about us and it's why we raised the money to build the company and make the acquisitions is you know the we weren't the only people in the world to be expert in brand and tech but most people who were doing it were doing it in one city or in one vertical and we believed you needed to be able to do it end-to-end globally. Otherwise, you were just creating another problem for uh, a global brand. And maybe if we just stick back with that sort of transition period when you left that role of CEO of a public company in 2014 to found Brandtech, what, what was going through your mind then in terms of what were the hardest challenges of making that leap? Because in, in many ways, you left an incredible job um, to go and start and build something from scratch. And, and so just curious, what was, what was toughest about that decision? What was toughest then about implementing it? I think the thing that most people would find hardest is you kind of, you go from a world where, you know, you're the CEO of a listed company, you're flying around in first class, you got, you know, three assistants, huge amounts of resources, and, and suddenly you're sitting on your own. Um, and you have none of that and you're, you know, down the back of the plane in, in the middle. And I think if those things are important to you, um, it's probably hard to make the leap. But I also, I mean, I'd watch my dad, um, you know, have a, a successful career in the textile industry, but at the back end of his career, when the textile industry was declining, um, he wasn't having a, a great time. And I kind of, it was like, note to self, um, don't be a senior executive in a declining industry. And I think um, that plus just, you know, I could just see that my clients needed something that didn't exist. You know, what, you know, they, they had a choice, work with a big global company who, you know, doesn't really get, state-of-the-art tech-enabled marketing, but it's easy because they're everywhere, 
or go around the world and assemble individually, like who's the best influencer agency in the US? Who's the best in London? Who's the best in Paris? Who's the best at e-commerce? Who's the best at social media? Who's the, and, and creating something where you had absolute best in class, uh, marketing, but it was a total nightmare to run and manage and it wasn't global. And I just believe that I could build that solution for them. And I think honestly, the fact that Today we work with, you know, eight of the world's top 10 and 49 of the top 100 says something about the need that they had for that as well. And, and you've, you've talked um, sort of publicly about your vision for advertising and you've, you've described it at one point as sort of being the post-advertising world. Um, it might be helpful for audience to understand a, a bit about that vision for more detail of what advertising looks like um, as we continue to see the impact of technologies you're alluding to and, and really the increasing complexity and the ability for everyone to be able to create content. And just, just what does that world look like that you're, you've envisioned and is, is seemingly coming to fruition as well? Yeah, so we, you know, we talked about being the first group for the post-advertising world and the reason we call you know the group brand tech is we believe that advertising would become a less and less important part of how brands, you know, connected with people and, and traditional advertising even more so. And obviously that, you know, if you look back to 2015 and what percentage of overall spend was digital versus traditional and where we are today. Um, and I think with the explosion of ChatGPT 3.5 and everything happening in generative AI subsequently, you know, that that's even more the case. So we just had a fundamental belief that you could do all marketing better, faster and cheaper using technology. Um, and that was why, you know, I built the company and what we set out to build and generative AI has put that on steroids. I mean, it's pretty incredible what you can do today. And, you know, and this technology is only going to get better and better if you look at the progress it's made in the last uh, 12 months. You know, and similarly to your point about complexity, I mean, you know, there was a time where we were, you know, it was relatively straightforward. You'd make a few TV commercials, you know, a bit of, bit of press and posters. And then the internet came along, you had to do some banners. I mean, literally today you're creating hundreds of thousands of, you know, brands have millions of assets live in market. And not only do you have all of the different platforms, but they're all constantly changing. They're changing their algorithms. They're changing what they do. And it's become unbelievably complicated. Um, and I think that's one of the biggest needs for brand, for modern brand today is just like help, help me make this simple. Help me with the complexity of modern marketing. And then you layer on top of that, you know, cookies going away and all the complexities around data. And obviously, as I said, you know, the explosion of gen AI. And we will look back in 10 years and think that wasn't it simple in 2024 when we, when we just had to do this. Um, because I think that's the other modern, you know, the other rule of modern marketing is it will, it will get more complex. There will be more messages. It will be, uh, more difficult, um, with each passing year. And what does that complexity mean if, if I'm a company that has a brand today? Does that make it more likely that I need to do more advertising and more help, um, outside of my organization? Or does it, um, lend towards insourcing? And how has that balance been developing because of some of those themes that you've been talking about? Well, look, you know, we, um, we own Oliver, obviously the world's number one, uh, in housing company, you know, built and, and run the U studio for, for Unilever, have many, uh, big successful in-house content studios. And, and I think, you know, in-housing is probably the fastest growing subset um, of marketing if you look at the last five or, or 10 years. And I think it's all about brands wanting to take back control, about brands wanting, you know, to solve what, you know, Gartner 
said that um, content was going to be the biggest bottleneck in marketing over this this decade, and and so far uh, they've been right. I think generative AI will will help us solve that. Um, but you know the volume of content and the speed of turnaround just mean that the old sort of traditional legacy model just couldn't keep up. Um, so I think you know you you've seen a huge uh, acceleration of in-housing, and our belief is that actually you know AI and generative AI is way too important uh, to outsource and that actually plugging and connecting generative AI to in-housing is going to be the best model in the future. Maybe we could we could talk a bit more about AI because I think what's striking is you've been a thought leader on a range of new technologies from AI to the metaverse. And when you first came to us at Scottish Mortgage in 2015 with the idea for the business, machine-generated content was one of the core pillars that you were talking about back in 2015. Why did you think back then that AI was going to be so big in marketing? And has the fact that you saw it with that many years in advance versus when other people were thinking about it helped you um, to sort of stay ahead and to develop the the right tools for the brands, uh, even as everyone is now clamoring towards it? Yeah. So look, I think on the first one, you know, why, why did we think and why do, and as you said, machine generated content was one of our founding verticals. I think humans just always completely underestimate how disruptive technology is going to be. I um, mean, just you know, like a stupid, simple example, I was on a plane with no Wi-Fi last week and it was really annoying. If you'd have told me 10 years ago, I'd have had Wi-Fi, I'd be like, don't be stupid. I'm not going to have Wi-Fi in planes. And, and I think it's just the, the golden rule of technology uh, is, is, you know, and, and if I look at the, you know, when I launched Australia's uh, first digital agency in 98, none of us, you know, believed that we would watch TV commercials on computer screens because the internet was too slow. And, and so I've always kind of taken this to like, you know, this is what it's like now, but it's clearly going to be dramatically better. And for me, it was just logical and is logical that, you know, and it should probably be called augmented intelligence, not artificial intelligence in the sense that it's, it's not that it's going to replace everybody um, in the marketing industry. It will change a lot of jobs, but it just augments what we're able to do. And I've always believed that, you know, from day one, that we would have technology that would allow us to do marketing much better, faster and cheaper. And so what that's allowed us to do um, is to get a real head start. I mean, you know, I think we've made seven, eight investments since back in, in 2015 and, and probably the most significant of those. And I would say the, one of the key things that that head start has allowed us to do is it's allowed us, you know, to be in a, a space today where we have genuine tangible products. I mean, what, you know, pencil, um, has been, uh, creating ads using AI since 2018. It's the only company in the world that has been creating ads using AI. Everyone, everyone obviously jumped on that bandwagon a few months ago. And what that means is, you know, a billion dollars of media spend through the platform and a billion dollars of learning over a million ads created across 5,000 brands. And that's given us a head start. And, and we have a product, you know, that we're able to put in market immediately. And the thing we're constantly hearing from our, our clients is, you know, you know, we, we have these great presentations from you and your competitors. You guys immediately can put something in market for us and we've got results within a week or two. Um, everyone, you know, the other people are still kind of talking about it. And one of our large clients said, we've got 32 live projects with you. Um, and we haven't done anything with, with anyone else yet. So it's given us that head start. Um, obviously, you know, the, the slightly annoying thing is everybody now has been doing, you know, generative AI, uh, for a decade, honestly. Um, but I think you, you do a quick Google search and you'll find the vast majority of them haven't been. And I, you know, 
I mean, we talked obviously back in 2015, and in fact, I think one of the big uh, trade publications sort of said, you know, will will the brand tech group, you know, replace uh, and and put traditional agencies out of business because of their belief in machine generated content? And back in 2019, I did an interview with Forbes where I sort of said, look, I you know, I think nobody nobody really fully understands just how. AI is going to completely disrupt and change all facets of marketing. And I talked about the kind of intelligence economy and it's exactly what, what's playing through now. So I would say the annoying thing is that, you know, everybody, um, has now discovered this, but the good news is we have like a nine year head start, uh, and we're seeing enormous growth and traction with, uh, generative AI. So, so when I think about Scottish mortgage, you know, we'd had investments related to AI. I mean, in NVIDIA going back to 2016, we'd talked to uh, thought leaders, including yourselves, that had told us that this was an area we should be trying to learn quite a lot about. Um, but at least for us, our perspective has been that certainly since the release of ChatGPT and what you've seen from gener- generative AI, probably the pace of progress has, has gone even faster than we would have thought. And so I suppose just curious, if you go back to that original model, um, how, how has the pace surprised you at all that you've seen? Has it, has it been as you would expect? Has it been faster? Has it been slower? Look, I mean, I think it, you know, it, the the sort of explosion of chat gpt 3.5 in you know october november 22 was you know was a real tipping point um and i and i think you know look you know, there was lots of talk about web3 nfts etc cetera, etc cetera. i think you know one of the big the big learnings and obviously block you know blockchain hasn't gone away and it and it may well come back to surprise us all but i, I think one of the big learnings was ease of use you know anyone could go on chat gp 3.5 at the time you know put something in and it came back and it was instantaneous you needed no instru- and i and i think it that's what just ignited the mass usage and obviously that kicked the sort of snowball off and and when you have every single one of the world's biggest tech platforms obsessively trying to create something and improve something you know the snowball effect that that has on the world is just enormous and so i think you know it it's not a surprise in the fact that it happened because i think we've always believed this was going to happen that exactly when it happened but you know yesterday you know microsoft went past apple as the world's most valuable company in the world and that's all on the back of generative AI and AI. And, you know, five years ago, most people probably wouldn't have, have, have predicted that. Um, and, you know, we really are still at the start of something. I mean, we, you know, we, we haven't even started to see the disruption that this is going to bring, not just to marketing and business, but to the world. And I think that in itself becomes the interesting thing, which is the pace at which some of these tools continue to get better. So that trying to think out on a long time scale, so you know, you talk about machine generated content in 2015, but in 2024, trying to think out five or 10 years ahead, those tools are going to get better and more powerful. Those machine generated adverts are going to get even more effective. Um, I mean, I think you mentioned some of the acquisitions in the space there. You recently acquired Pencil, a generative AI company that's built on OpenAI's large language models. Um, Can you talk a little bit more detail about the um, acquisition and what that's brought in terms of the capabilities for Brandtech and its clients? Yeah. So look, I mean, I think there was no one else out there. I mean, we were looking at the market and I met Will, the founder, because he sort of knew that we had a passionate belief around AI. 
Um, and he obviously had launched his entire business on that back in 2018. And, um, you know, we, we sort of convinced him that uh, doing that at global scale with the world's biggest brands would be a, you know, a really exciting future. Our focus is obviously enterprise and we launched Pencil Pro, which is the enterprise product, which solves, you know, a lot of the issues that big global companies have, like small D2C companies are kind of less worried about, you know, copyright and what's happening with their data from various things like this, because they're often in sort of survival mode. Whereas, you know, the, the biggest global companies, copyright's unbelievably important to them. The fact that they don't want their data being <laughs> mixed with their competitors, you know, there's a number of things and, and Pencil Pro does that. But I, I think it's just given us, you know, the only genuine product in the world that has, you know, six years now of, of, not just uh, media spend, but proven data. And that allows it to be predictive. So every stage when you're using Pencil, you can kind of start off and and ask for insights around a brand. And on every insight you get, this billion dollars of, of media spend, this data set gives you a prediction. And, a, you know, green means we've done something like this before and it worked. Blue means we've never done anything like this before. And orange means we did something like this before and it didn't work. Or the, the data set basically believes this won't work. And interestingly, marketers tend to gravitate towards blue because I think everyone thinks their next marketing campaign will be better than the last one. And then you get into literally picking like, what do you want to create? Do you want to create, you know, a pack shot, a TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, et cetera, et cetera. And, and the AI literally after you've, you know, done a very quick kind of population generates, uh, ideas, you can interact with it and say, no, not that. How about, you know, add this, take this away. And, and the thing about it is, and I think this is very true of generative AI today. It's, it's not that what it does is remarkable. I mean, a, a group of humans could do exactly the same thing, but it's the speed with which it, it does it. Um, the ability to create such an incredible volume of content that you could never do in a, in a human only world. And what we're also seeing though, not only can we create content 10 times faster, but we're seeing 2x the performance on it. Um, which I think, you know, it's, it's better. And obviously it is cheaper, but you know, on one of our, uh, our major clients, we we're seeing 161% uh, ROAS increases return on ad spend on Instagram and TikTok. On another client, we're able to produce every piece of content between 1.5 and, and 10 times faster. And, and that's now, you know, if you think where this is going to be in, in 12 months versus where it is today. Yeah, that's fascinating. And, and I suppose the other thing, we talked about sort of thought leadership and, and getting on different things early. You've made a range of interesting investments as you've built up Brandtech Group. It'd be good to take a step back and explain how those sort of fit into the overall business model as, as you sort of um, build up links and stakes and acquisitions. Sure. So look, we, you know, we, we had uh, a minority investment strategy. I mean, to clear, to be clear, the core part of what we do is obviously acquiring the 10 companies we've acquired and integrating them and, and scaling them globally. And that's sort of, that's our, our day jobs. But we always believe that investing in really interesting tech, um, would give us, you know, expert knowledge would give us a, a kind of a step up. So, you know, we, for example, um, we were the first external investors in Niantic when they spun out of Google back in uh, after summer 2015 and a year ahead of, uh, you know, Pokemon Go, which obviously kind of defined AR. You know, we, we invested in Pinterest three or four years ahead of their IPO. 
Um, we were investors in Jiffy Cat four or five years before they they sold to Snap. Um, so we've always done this. And I think, you know, our radar is like, what what companies do we think our brand clients are going to want to spend their money with? And I think one of the reasons we've been pretty successful is by definition, these companies have typically been able to, to do pretty well um, because they are companies that brands want to spend a marketing dollar with. And we've got a fairly good radar um, for that. I think we've also seen from our clients that they've kind of gone, well, look, if you've invested in those guys, you clearly believe in them. So we should be we should be looking at them. So as an investor, we've not just been obviously, you know, cash, which is important, but we've been cash plus added value, being able to connect them into the the world's biggest brands and advertisers. And specifically when it comes to AI, you know, we we invested early on in Automat, who did AI chatbots, in Elsie, who did AI media planning, in uh, AI Foundation, who built AI mind twins, in, um, you know, Crossing Minds, who are doing AI data, in CreativeX, who are doing AI, uh, you know, control of content and measurement. And so, you know, it's been a core part of the business from day one. And I think it's also helped us understand today, you know, if you're one of the world's biggest global brands how should you be implementing ai what do you need to be doing how should you be setting this up um, for the future where it's clearly going to be hugely disrupted and i suppose there's two parts of that part one is spotting these really interesting companies early you know it, it, it's about investing and partnering with niantic even before pokemon go for example in the augmented reality field and then i suppose the second one is getting them to want to partner um, and be invested by you. It'd be interesting exploring both of those. And presumably that's a very different proposition, particularly the second one, if you're a large ad advertising agency, both in the speed that you would move, but also in the attractiveness um, of partnership versus someone like yourself. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, Pinterest from opportunity to the check having been written, it was five days. And I, you know, and I think a big company typically, um, you know, would find it hard to, to move at that speed. And, and I think the other, the other thing as well is, you know, uh, as you know, well, like most great companies, you know, you're trying to get in, it's, they don't need the money. Like the, the companies who, who typically or certainly pre 2022 who are desperate for money, <laughs> you know, you probably don't want to be investing there. And the good companies, they're picking who's coming in. And I think, you know, what, because we had this unique ability, not just to put money in, but to have a real expertise on what do brands want, you know, by way of platforms, where do they want to spend their marketing dollars, but also spotting the companies before other people do. I mean, you know, post Pokemon Go and AR becoming a thing was obvious, but, you know, at the time, most people thought VR was going to be the thing, not AR, you know. When we were talking to Pencil, we were the only people talking to them about acquiring them because ChatGPT hadn't exploded yet and, you know, no one else was really thinking this was going to be a thing. And I think if, if you get in early and your radar's good, um, you know, it, the hardest time to get into a company is, you know, like it's probably not that easy now to, to, to do a, a lucrative investment in open AI. That's not really a secret anymore, <laughs> but all those people who got in, you know, five, 10 years ago are having a great time. And I think one of the points there that resonates with us quite strongly, you were saying about the reputation you'd built up um, as investors, as owners of businesses, as good partners, um, because the reality is that um, a lot of people that run interesting businesses are involved or investors in businesses that they, they talk to each other. And if you build up a reputation of being an unhelpful investor or partner, quite quickly that gets around um, and then suddenly it becomes much more difficult to invest or at least much more difficult to invest, as you were rightly saying, in the most attractive companies where 
as you said, they don't have to take your money. I think that that ends up being a really material point. And if you get to the point that you have where you've built that reputation, it becomes a completely invaluable asset. No, I agree. Look, I mean, and it's exactly, you know, honestly, it's exactly the case with Bailey Gifford. I mean, I think you guys had the most incredible reputation. I mean, when we were talking, you know, back in 2015, I, you know, and these, these may be a few years out, you'd been 20 years investors in Amazon and Alibaba. And, you know, you, you'd seem to kind of spot every big thing, not just a couple of years before it happened, but, you know, decades. Um, and, and again, I think the other, the other comment I would make is if you look at, you know, Today, you look at our company, you know, billion dollars in revenue, lots of big brands. It's, it's sort of quite easy to go, well, that's obviously a thing. But, you know, you guys looked at a PowerPoint deck where I said, this is what I'm going to do if I get some money. I'm going to go off and put these companies together and build something that's going to disrupt marketing and create a brand new model. And I think, you know, having the ability to spot things like that, that that's going to work and it's, it, it's critically important. And I would say, you know, it's exactly what Bailey Gifford did when we had our very first conversations and you kind of believed in the crazy idea I had, which has turned out to not be so crazy after all. Yeah, that's all credit to you and your team and what you've built. It's been fascinating to see it um, scale so well. Um, I mean, I think as, as we're on sort of the big areas that you've been interested in, it would feel wrong not to talk about the metaverse. Um, and again, that, that's an area where uh, I think you've in some ways been a thought leader. There's been some very interesting blog posts you've written on it. And yeah, you know, we are, we've talked. I think we've um, met up last time in Edinburgh um, about you know, Scottish mortgage being invested in Roblox as sort of one element or version of the metaverse. Um, how are you thinking about the potential impact of the metaverse today? And should you think of it as um, sort of not entirely separate from some of the things we've been saying on AI? Because in many ways, lots of the tools of AI makes the abilities and capabilities of the metaverse even stronger as we go forward. Yeah. So look, I think my, my sort of soundbite is the metaverse is only dead to people who aren't paying attention. Um, and I, and I think one of the things that happened again, you know, like humans bundled together, like metaverse, web three, NFTs, you know, blockchain, Bitcoin. And, and obviously they, you know, I think two, two very different things. And a lot of the issues around NFTs and web three came out of the unbelievable complexity and the, just the lack of ease of use. Um, if you sort of look at the, the metaverse side, and I'm a huge, uh, Roblox fan. We, the, we did a, a, an idea that was named by fast companies, one of their world changing ideas for McCain, who make uh, a huge percentage of the world's franchise. But I think it underscores the potential for, for the metaverse. So we were able to get, you know, uh, basically McCain have a, a mission to create 100% of their French fries from sustainably uh, regenerative agriculture farmed potatoes. And they wanted to find a way of telling this to people in an interesting way. And obviously we could have done like a super boring TV commercial of helicopter shots over giant farms, but we um, created on, on Roblox the farms of the future. We allowed people to come in to farm, to make uh, fries, et cetera, et cetera. You know, over 30 million people came and visited. They were spending 15 minutes learning about regenerative agriculture. We had over 25 million, uh, you know, regen potatoes harvested. And it was just a way of getting a communication to people that you could never have done through a, a traditional TV commercial. And I think you're seeing a number of really successful uh, experiences uh, on, on not just on Roblox. I mean, the, you know, is the I think the CEO of Fortnite who sort of invited the 700 million people who are daily playing across all of these platforms. And I think, you know, today over 3 billion people are, are gaming 
it's hugely growing. The metaverse is is going from strength to strength. You know, I'm personally not convinced um, that in the short term we're ever going to get to a world where everyone wants to sit wearing headsets. And again, we get back into the blur between Web3 and metaverse. But I think particularly if you look at some of the the, the case studies on Roblox, some of the things going on, uh, around Fortnite, Minecraft. I mean, I think there's some really, really interesting uh, stuff in in and around the gaming space and metaverse. But but I think the big learning as well is almost metaverse is a is a vertical in the way that e-commerce is a vertical and social media is a vertical, but generative AI is a horizontal. And I think that's that's why it's different. It changes everything. You know, you could decide you could decide to do social media or not do social media. You could decide to be in the metaverse or not be in the metaverse. You know, there's a lot of things you you could make a decision as to whether you do this or not because it is a vertical. Whereas generative AI is a horizontal, and it will change every aspect of everything we do. And and who do you see within this sort of post-advertising world? Where, Where do you see either? today or the potential for um, competition um presumably it's it's less the existing advertising agencies getting their act together in part because of the innovators dilemma that they face which is um has a slightly different um nature in every industry but has certain commonalities as you go through them um is it technology companies finding new ways to help um serve brands or do you see it as being actually it's other versions of brand tech group of um you know bright people coming up and building something new from scratch the reason companies get disrupted is not because they're poor it's because they're successful you know, big legacy businesses are making a lot of money doing something. And this new thing, you know, A, doesn't make as much money and B, probably undermines and disrupts my business. I mean, you know, the most famous example being Kodak, who invented digital photography, but somehow managed to go out of business. Um, and so, I, you know, I don't think the, the challenge really comes from the legacy businesses. In fact, I would say I think they've got a real problem on their hands because when you have 100,000 employees, and technology can now do so much and you don't need a hundred thousand employees. It's kind of hard to see your way through that. I think we're going to see amazing things going on with all of the platforms. Uh, but you know, an interesting from a selfish perspective, pencil basically aggregates and augments all of the different AI tech platforms. So the better they get, the better pencil gets. But I, I don't, you know, I don't think, and it's much the same way as one of the questions we would often get was, well, but you know, you're doing all of this content with digital, but why, you know, why don't clients do that directly with Meta or Google or TikTok or Instagram? And I think, you know, the, the answer to that is most clients, you know, want someone objective creating the content. It's hard to imagine that one platform is going to create content that will perform so much better on another platform that someone will move all their spend there. So there's an objectivity that comes with it. And also, it's not something that we have seen, you know, the platforms certainly in Web2 want to do. You know, it's, it's not their core business. Their core business is how do we, you know, if we're TikTok or we're Instagram, how do we create content that has people really engage with the platform? And then we can get brands to come and advertise. It's not how can we create that content uh, for brands. So my guess, you know, we'll see how this all plays out. Someone is going to build a hundred billion valuation company in the marketing sector that hasn't existed before, you know. If you think about sales, the way sales was done pre-Salesforce is it was it was a lack of systems and process and technology and Salesforce come, has come along and pretty much every major organization um, works with them today and they've built a multiple hundred of billion dollar company. I think exactly the same thing is going to happen uh, with marketing. I thought that in June 2015 when I created the company, but I think that generative AI has made that even more probable slash certain. 
And I think the key thing is, you know, how do we and I ensure that we're that company? Um, we're a long way off that today. We're super ambitious, but we're not the only ones who have seen that prize. And I think we will see, you know, a number of competitors launch. I think that it's the new that's more concerning than the, what's out there. Uh, and what we've got to do is just make sure that we don't squander this lead. Well, as you said, by, by keeping your ears close to the ground and being able to partner with some of these new companies, that's in one way ensuring you don't get disrupted is that you, you end up working with them, whether it's pencil or, or whatever comes along next. Um, can we talk a little bit about just trying to help uh, our listeners understand how you think about the size and scale of your opportunity from here and, and perhaps putting it differently if it was a helpful framing of what Brand Tech Group needs to do to sort of get towards on that trajectory of that building that first sort of $100 billion digital marketing company? So, yeah, I think there's two things. I think the first one, I mean, you know, we uh, have a phenomenal product um, in the content space, but this is about more than just content. You know, we're doing some really interesting and great stuff in and around data with our data companies, 55 and DP6. We have, you know, Gravity Road, one of our other companies who's created a TV commercial for Hotel Chocolat, predominantly using generative AI that is kind of doing brilliantly um, in in all of the, the kind of key research metrics in terms of creative effectiveness. So, you know, this is, this is an end-to-end play. Um, and I think what I am obsessive about, so big picture, number one, how do we become and ensure we are the world's number one generative AI marketing company? I mean, I, honestly, I think we can claim to be it today, but we're in mile one of the marathon. So it's, a, you know, it's kind of, hey, we're the number one. Look, we've got, you know, real product and all this spend and we're way ahead. But, you know, it's sort of, it would be a bit like stopping and celebrating and opening the champagne after mile one of the marathon. Um, and then that's literally about how do we now take um, all of this proven success we have and just scale that massively. Uh, and so that is, that is the obsession. You know, my mantra is that case studies beat press releases. It's super easy to announce some great, you know, made for press partnership or some great thing you are going to build. But that, that old Henry Ford quote, no, no one built a reputation of what they said they were going to do. Um, and we've got some amazing case studies and it's about getting out with those and, and fighting through the noise. I think there's an enormous amount of noise out there. There's a lot of people who genuinely are new to this space, but are talking a good game. And, you know, I, my, my analogy is it's a bit like, um, speaking French. You know, if you speak fluent French, someone who speaks crap French, you think speaks crap French. If you speak no French, you think someone who speaks crap French speaks good French. And so I think it's about ensuring that the perception matches our reality, uh, and doing a lot of, you know, front foot comms to ensure that's the case. So you're like obsessively scale and drive, you know, generative AI through every facet of our business. And, you know, just move that from an overall percentage of what we do to being the vast majority of what we do. And should the financial profile, the financial characteristics of building a brand technology company for the post-advertising world, presumably that's better financial characteristics than the previous business models, given the interjection of technology and, again, your ability to do not just your clients, but yourself um, more with less? Yes, completely. I mean, you know, the, the, the EBITDA profile of the generative AI marketing company is, you know, better than the EBITDA profile of the, the digital marketing company it goes without saying. We will be able to do, you know, more for less. And by doing that, we'll be more profitable. So I think it's overall, you know, it's, it's great news. And is there an element as well, I suppose, from the, 
the viewer's perspective, the user, the consumer, that also where you get to is advertising that because it's hyper-personalized is more accurate, more relevant, less annoying, more engaging, and, and very different from the advertising of the last few decades where a lot of the time it can be a nuisance, it's interrupting you, and it starts to become actually helpful. No, look, that's a great point. And I think, you know, one of, one of the other reasons we called the company brand tech, you know, is ad tech had just done some of the most annoying things that, that you could possibly do. I mean, why, why would somebody possibly want to be followed around the internet by a pair of sneakers or trainers that they'd already bought? You know, not only is it dumb because they're the last person who's going to buy a second pair, but it's also really annoying. And I think, you know, at a big picture level, people don't hate brands. What they don't want is messages from brands they're not interested in or messages from brands talking from a way that, that's not relevant. You know, every single person has product categories and things they're passionate about. Every single person, you know, has brands and, and, and ads and communications that they love. And I think, yeah, absolutely. We have the ability to get to what I call the perfect market, where, which is, you know, brands are only communicating with people who either are users of their brand or want to be. If they're doing that, they're not wasting money. You know, the platforms aren't annoying people by carrying messages, which people don't want to, to see. Uh, and the the customer is getting messages from brands that they're interested in and that know how to talk to them. And I think, you know, we have every ability to get to that world and generative AI technology will allow us hopefully to remove a lot of the incredibly annoying things that advertising has done historically. Great. Well, that, that does sound like a, a better a better world and, and a very different one. Thank you so much, David, for your time. Really appreciate it as always. It's been fascinating to hear through all that Brand Tech Group is doing um, and how it's been both early and continuing to sort of um, drive and change the world of artificially generated uh, marketing. So thank you so much for your time. It's a pleasure, Lawrence. Great to chat. So, Lawrence, that was a pretty diverse and eclectic range of topics covered in that conversation. Everything from Pokemon Go to creating experiences on Roblox for McCain Fries to the metaverse and, and, and AI. I think listeners will find it very thought-provoking and interesting. But as you know, in this season, we finish off every episode by asking the managers the same five questions about this investment case. So the first one we always ask is, how did you come across the Brantech Group? So Scottish Mortgage first met with David Jones in 2015, so, so uh, you know, almost 10 years ago. And at this point, um, as David alludes to, the Brandtech Group, or you and Mr. Jones, as it was called when we first met him, um, was really a vision or a PowerPoint presentation. Mm-hmm. But what stood out for us was he had thoughts about the challenges of advertising that really matched with what we were seeing from some of the big tech platforms that we were investing in. And, and so that helped us triangulate that some of the issues he was raising, we could see them playing out from a different angle. And then what David really offered was someone that had a huge amount of credibility, given his background, mm-hmm. and was providing a solution to a problem that we were seeing from the technology side and we were also seeing from some of the brand companies that we invest in. Um, and so Brandtech started out actually as one of the earliest investments Scottish Mortgage has made. But as we fast forward those nine years later, today it stands as one of our larger and more mature private company investments. And so, Lawrence, we chatted a little bit at the start um, about David leaving his role of a CEO of an established ad company to building a company from scratch. And that definitely takes a particular mindset, a particular um, set of character traits. And so I'm interested from your perspective, what is it about David and his vision 
that stands out for you? You know, we, we invest in founder-led companies, but I'm really intrigued to, to get into you. What is, what is it about David that, that really stands out? Yeah, I mean, I think the first point is to go back to, to what you've said and what we've touched on a couple of times. It, it's that combination of industry insider with a visionary entrepreneurial mindset that's really interesting. And that's both interesting and unusual because what we find across different fields is that when you talk to someone that's an industry insider or you talk to someone that's an expert of an industry, they are normally not the first people to spot big change mm-hmm. um, because they've seen it for many, many years. It's always worked a certain way. Um, it's hard to see those inflection points, which don't occur very often in industry. They do to us because we looked at lots of different yeah. industries that are exhibiting change. Um, and they have a lot of sunk capital in the way things used to be done. If they've been successful, it's probably because of it. they're good with the current system. Yeah. So all of that makes it hard to have that combination. And what stood out was the fact he had that in-depth knowledge, but at the same time, he had quite radical visions for how advertising was going to change. You know, we alluded to it a bit on the call. It was about seeing that um, machine-generated content in 2015 was going to be a thing. Mm-hmm. Now, even today, that sounds a little bit radical, but it sounds a lot less in the world of ChatGPT. Um, but he was there very, very early. And I think as we sort of got to know him over the period of investing, what we were seeing again and again was that one, David was having interesting thoughts about the world that we found helpful for us to understand and was getting involved a lot with companies that we were interested in as well and interested in learning by. And all of these things I do think point to an individual that again has that very unique mix of uh, credibility of the industry expertise, but a clear prescient vision of what a future can look like and building an organisation towards that possible future. And Lawrence, Brandtech is certainly not the only company involved in this digital marketing space. So I'm interested, what do you think is their competitive edge? Yeah, so, so I think on the first layer of that, we, we covered that a bit in the podcast of the edge versus some of the traditional advertising agencies where there's an innovator's dilemma. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that goes back to, I think David alluded to Kodak. Um, we'd alluded a little bit to sort of looking at how the auto industry is struggling to adapt to the electric vehicle revolution. Um, then as you move on, as we sort of talked about, the big competitive threat comes from other people that are reinventing the wheel and starting from scratch rather than adapting. And I think here, Brandtech Group has a few advantages. The first is it started earlier on this journey than anyone else. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's had time to scale its operations. It's gone global from the start. I think David's reputation and some of the reasons I said that he's special allowed him to attract the capital to build that out globally right from the beginning. And I think scale from operations therefore matters and that global nature. I think scale also becomes more interesting for advertising than it has been in the past because you have a lot more data points Mm -hmm. and you can use that to generate a positive flywheel that the more you do, the more data you get, the more you understand consumers, the more you understand what works and what doesn't work right down to quite granular levels. And I think AI plays a part in that. And again, we talked a bit about it, that if you've done a huge number of machine-generated ads, over time, those ads get better and more accurate and more efficient. And so I think there's an element that scale, perhaps, because the data element matters more in advertising agencies Mm -hmm. today than it did in the past. And that's an advantage for Brand Tech Group. I think the other aspect of Edge is is really actually their reputation in this space, both the organization, but also, again, David as a thought leader. And that's allowing them and has allowed them to partner, invest and acquire some of the very best and most interesting companies out there, which we talked about. They don't need capital. They want to work with people that are going to make them better. Um, and I think Brandtech Group brings that. Um, and that allows them to go out and plug in companies um, into their ecosystem, into their network and make them better over time to do that at a better rate and uh, better valuations effectively in some ways than competitors. Um, so... I don't think this is a sort of winner-takes-all market, but I think there's an interesting argument that possibly 
This is one, what he touched on a market that is has better financial characteristics for the players that win than the previous mm-hmm. generation. And two, that possibly that data element leads to a little bit more consolidation going forward. And Lawrence, <laughs> David mentioned the enormous speed of disruption in this space. And in his words, I think he said, you know, generative AI is going to change every aspect of, of what we do. So I guess I'm interested, how do you see this? Is this an opportunity or is it a threat or are there other potential threats that you see for brand tech? And how how do you think the company is placed to overcome some of those threats and challenges that might be on the horizon? I think in many ways, it's the threat and opportunity here are two sides of the same coin. Yeah. Um, the opportunity is that technology is radically changing the advertising industry and people need help and brand tech can provide that help. The threat is that that technology shift happens in a way that's not advantageous to you. It moves too fast and your model itself becomes obsolete. And I think when you talk about sort of the changes in generative AI, that's the threat for a lot of companies, that the rules of the game change and they can't adapt. So then what are the two things that I think give brand tech group good odds of dealing with that situation? The first, again, I'd probably go back to um, David and the culture of Brand Tech Group, that the heritage of this company in many ways is seeing that the world was changing and adapting to it. So mm-hmm. they've done that once um, yeah. when it wasn't in their interest or David's interest to see it. And I think the fact that you've had someone that has spotted a lot of trends a decade ahead of time gives you some confidence that they should have the right characteristics to see what's coming down the track, at least as well as anyone else, if not better. The second element, uh, I think, here is that their approach to investing in companies is a way of gaining skill sets and perspectives um, and a way of learning. And I think that's helpful to ensure they stay on the right side of disruption, that if they see something interesting, they're not likely to bury their heads in the sand, but like to partner with them and see how they can leverage that technology and skill set and make it part of their strength. And I think we've seen a very, it's a diluted version of this, but it's a similar thing that one of the things beyond the financial return as companies that we get is a huge ability to learn and to triangulate for what we're seeing in the world. And I think they, they have an even better opportunity in that it's not just the ability to learn from the companies they invest in, but to plug them in operationally and benefit from what they're actually doing. And I think that will hopefully allow them to navigate what is a very fast-moving space. And then, Lawrence, as, as a final question, you know, we look for companies that are addressing large and expanding market opportunities – that either have or are building a really strong competitive moat and have that visionary founder or leader. So when you pull all that together, how do you describe the scale of the opportunity for, for Brand Tech Group from here? Well, if you take a step back, global advertising is an industry that's worth about $750 billion a year. Yeah. So it's a really big industry that they're part of and targeting. And the question then is, you know, if Brand Tech Group can be one of the key companies helping companies and brands leverage technology to do marketing faster, cheaper, and better, they have a potential to facilitate quite a large part of that very, very large number. And I do think David's observation is interesting that we haven't yet had a $100 billion advertising company. But the market's large enough to potentially support that. And so I think if you have the right model, the right execution, and a bit of luck, then it's plausible that one can exist. And I think that's Brandtex Group's opportunity. And I think it's the opportunity of how technology is is changing industries in ways that are allowing these new companies to emerge. Thank you, Lawrence, for those insights. So that brings us to the end of season two of Invest in Progress. Thank you to Scottish mortgage managers, Tom Slater and Lawrence Burns, to all of our guests this season, and of course, our listeners. 
This season we've covered everything from companies pioneering carbon removal and personalised cancer vaccines to companies that are fundamentally changing how we eat and travel. You can listen to season one and two on all major platforms. And if you're interested in learning more about how to invest in Scottish Mortgage, then visit scottishmortgage.com. You've been listening to Invest in Progress. Thank you for joining us. Please note, EBITDA stands for Earnings Before Interest, Taxes, Depreciation and Amortisation. This calculation is one way to measure a company's overall financial performance. 